1: It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors.
2: We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Bow down, we we'll gather here on hallowed ground
3: Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Hey, you know, the show's usually in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. Uh, And the second part of the show, we talk politics, history, religion, authors. But today we're going to be talking about an author, with an author, about his book on Lawrence Tierney. And, you know, if you go back a few years, when I was talking to my father once, I think in the late 70s, we were just talking movies, and I said, who was your favorite movie actor? And he said, Lawrence Tierney. And I said, who's Lawrence Tierney? And he said he played Dillinger, and I used to know him from whatever bar it was. And I I didn't know who Lawrence Tierney was. I didn't follow up on a lot, but in later years, I got to appreciate and know Lawrence Tierney, and he's really one of the most remarkable acting careers of anybody okay. Who's ever been in, in movies? Plus, I, he did a lot of television. He did a lot of uh, shows, you know, plays or whatever live. And supposedly was very good as a uh, as an actor on stage. So we're going to be talking to a guy who wrote a book about Lawrence Tierney, Burke Carnes. And Lawrence Tierney was born in Brooklyn. And we just happened, as a family, based on Mister Carnes' recommendations, last. Week we just saw a movie with Lawrence Tierney, The Devil Thumbs a Ride. You guys have any? Oh my goodness. You guys have any uh, uh, yeah, thoughts uh, on that one?
4: Yeah, the main character is uh, <laughs> a bit of an idiot,
3: to say the least. Uh, <laughs>
4: I mean that's that's being generous, you know. You talk about, whenever you're watching one of these movies where you've got a you know a murderous criminal or a drifter or something, and they you know people have to make a few stupid decisions along the way for them to really. But I mean, this one really stacks up the stupid decisions as you're going along.
3: It's, I don't know if he's the hero. <laughs>
4: yeah, the hero isn't the right. The hero is yeah. the kid at the gas station who accompanies the police. But yeah, the uh, that's but, right. But your main point of view character is a nincompoop. <laughs> you I mean, know, okay you know in horror movies when you're just going sitting there going don't do that don't do that no do not do that yeah that's you've got that through the whole <laughs> but it's it's well you know what it is it doesn't lose the pacing even though you've got a lot of those moments the way they cut it and everything it doesn't lose the pacing you don't feel like you're sitting there watching tedium is that fair to say yeah but- <laughs> And he's not doing the same stupid thing over and over. He just keeps doing something else that works into the plot beautifully. But
3: we're talking about Lawrence Tierney, and obviously Lawrence Tierney is the villain. He's the villain. And (laughs) Lawrence Tierney could play a bad guy as well as anybody in the 1940s and well into the, you know, in, in Reservoir Dogs, he's the old Irish guy who manipulates everybody yeah. and one of my favorite la- of his later films was tough guys don't dance and I, he gives a great performance in, in that film and he you know he grew up in brooklyn or at least was born in brooklyn and census records have him both in brooklyn and queens with his family but he went to boys high in brooklyn and was an athlete and then seems almost by luck Got an acting job at RKO and became a star. Got in a lot of trouble over the years, a lot of drunken brawls, too numerous to count, and somehow kept acting through the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even had one film appearance after he died in the year 2000. So, you know, a guy who was able to stick around for six decades or whatever, and was arrested probably he was in 66 films and arrested 70 times so we're going to hear about the remarkable life of lawrence tierney we'll be back at the end of the interview thank you for listening ask the lawyer
2: how can i protect my family if something happens to me
4: what if i need to go to a nursing home what will happen to our savings our home what's the best way to give my home to my kids who will help us take care of grandpa I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers.
1: Connors & Sullivan, in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org.
5: If you're a homeowner 862 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me, I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, nine nine zero Stewart Avenue suite six six zero garden city, New York one one five three zero licensed mortgage banker, New York state department of financial services.
1: Time now for Connor's corner where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike.
3: Welcome to Connor's corner segment of ask the lawyer. Uh, you know, when I when I came out of the service in the late 70s, one time I remember I was talking to my father. We were watching a movie on TV, and we were just talking about who our favorite movie stars were. And, you know, we went through the usual list. But then my father said – "My, you know, I asked him who's his favorite actor, and he said, Lawrence Tierney. And I said, who? And <laughs> – then he said, yeah, you know, Dillinger, and he used to tend bar in the same place I tended back whenever, and I don't know what year it was. But I know some of you out there are saying, who's Lawrence Tierney? So we're going to try to correct that. We have Burke Carnes up. We wrote a book about Lawrence Tierney. Welcome, Connor's Corner. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, so who was Lawrence Tierney?
6: All right, we have to go back. There's really, in people's minds, there's two Lawrence Tierneys. Now, the first one uh, showed up in Hollywood, 25 years old, in, in 1943. He shows up on the RKO Pictures lot. He's in a, bit, a bunch of bit parts, gets small roles. Handsome Irish guy from Brooklyn. Uh, they don't do anything with him. So he finds out, he looks in the trades one day and sees that an independent company is doing a movie about John Dillinger, who was the public enemy number one back in the 1930s. Tierney on his own walks up to the other other company. He walks into the office. They're out to lunch. As, as the legend goes, he grabbed a script off uh, the secretary's desk, learned a scene, went in, got the role himself. Uh, the movie is uh, filmed in 1944. It premieres in 1945. It plays in Times Square on April 25th. And overnight, Lawrence Tierney is a superstar. He is Dillinger. He's like he's the action hero. He's the, the gangster hero of Hollywood. Overnight. Overnight. Uh, Three weeks later, he's arrested for being drunk in Beverly Hills, gets a $25 fine. He's arrested about three weeks after that. Again, drunk and fighting, $25 fine. Lawrence Tierney went on to make films into the 1950s or so. Um, At the end of his career, which lasted up until about the year 1999, he made about 60 films, had more than 30 television appearances, and more than seventy arrests. Uh, he, Here was a guy who, who drank and fought a, away his career in totally in public, in all the papers and all the gossips, uh, but still managed somehow to keep working. Uh, he 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 was saved by television in the late nineteen fifties uh, when the when it got too hot in Hollywood from being arrested. He went to New York City when he was banned from every bar on Third Avenue. He went to Europe for a while. <laughs> Came back from Europe, got some work in the '70s, gotten some more trouble in the '70s, and then made a comeback in the in the 1980s. He was no longer the handsome, uh, you know, leading man. He was this bald, fat, gruff monster of a guy with a with a gruff voice, and he wound up appearing in just about every major uh, television drama of the 1980s. He was insane elsewhere he was remington steel hunter he was in the last two seasons of hill street blues and as a matter of fact had the last words of the of the series in hill street blues Um, but most people know him as joe cabot when he was supposedly discovered rediscovered by quentin tarantino in reservoir dogs he played the old man in reservoir dogs and that's where he really began a renaissance (laughs)
3: now, that for <laughs> well, you know, with his background and everything else, how did he get along with the other younger actors, we'll say, in, in Reservoir Dogs?
6: He drove them crazy. <laughs> by, the, by, the, by the time Tierney was making Reservoir Dogs, uh, he was a bit, you know, he'd been drinking a lot. He couldn't remember his lines. He would blame other people for when he was screwing up his lines. Uh, worst of all, he had a first-time director named Quentin Tarantino. This was Tarantino's first film. And they realized that Tyranti- that Tierney was going to be trouble. So Tarantino did most of Tierney's scenes the first week of shooting, get his stuff out of the way. Uh, the, the final scene they were shooting was actually the opening scene of the film. that takes place in the Waffle House, and and there is um, Tierney, all the young guys playing the Reservoir Dogs. Harvey Keitel's there, Michael Madsen, uh, <clears throat> Steve Buscemi, and Tarantino has been driven nuts by Tierney that entire week because Tierney would walk away from him while he was talking. He would say, I don't get the script. I don't like the jokes. This isn't funny. I don't like it. And at one point, Tarantino had 20 minutes left in shooting that day, and he's explaining to Tierney the shot he wanted. Tierney turns away to walk away, and Tarantino made the ultimate mistake. He laid a hand on him. He grabbed his arm and said, no, stop whereupon Lawrence Tierney said, get your hands off me, and slugged him. And there was a fight. The young director and the old man fought, uh, and then uh, Tarantino fired him in front of the crew, said, get out of here, you're fired. And Tierney walked away and left. Uh, at that point, the producer, and Harvey Keitel, the producer, ran over to him and said, we don't have, you can't fire him. We don't, we, we don't have a budget for this. You've you got to get the guy back. So... That night, Tarantino called Tierney and said, "You know, let's let bygones be bygones. Uh, you know, come back and shoot uh, on Monday. Everything will be all right." But by that time, Tierney had uh, was in a rage. He went to the, the bar across from his apartment, uh, started drinking, uh, fought with the bouncer, broke the window of the bar. Went back to his apartment with somebody else, drank some more. Uh, his nephew showed up to uh, try to calm down his uncle, and uh, whereupon. Tierney pulled out a .357 Magnum from a drawer and started shooting at his nephew. Uh, the bullets went through the, went through the wall into another apartment. Uh, Tierney wound up being arrested. He spent the weekend in jail. And then everybody who knew him worked to get him out of jail without telling Tarantino because it would ruin the insurance bond on the movie. <laughs> and they got him back to work on Monday. And he remained under a house arrest uh, for the rest of the filming. You
3: know, before we got on the air, we were, we were talking a little bit about New York, how you commit a crime and you're out the next day. How many times did, was Lawrence Tierney arrested and then let out just right away?
6: Well, the thing with Tierney is, for instance, I got onto this, this story when I, I saw an article from 1951 that said Lawrence Tierney arrested for the 13th time. Uh, he'd been arrested uh, entering a bar barefoot, saying he wanted to whip anyone in the house, fought the police. They threw, they threw him into jail. They brought him into court. Uh, I found out later this was really like his 25th arrest, not not his 13th. Um, he obviously had, uh, you know, a lot of problems drinking and fighting, et cetera. Uh, the judge said to him, uh, Mr. Tierney, this is the 13th time you've been brought before me. Uh, we have a problem here. Uh, you know, we find you. We have put you in jail for a couple of days here and there. But we've got to do something about it. This time for you to go away for a long time on uh, Tierney just kind of looked at the judge and the judge said, but I'll make you a deal. If you promise never to drink again, I'll let you off with the fine and some probation. And Tierney looked at the judge and said, your honor, I promise I will never drink again. And they said, okay. And they let him go. And this happened over and over again, where they just, you know, on his promise, he got off. And I guess, you know, the, the studio, the lawyers, people, people helping all this. But tyranny, really, I think the most he spent in jail was about thirty days at one point after, like, you know, a fourth arrest in a row. But he was always back out on the streets, ready to fight again.
3: Now, why was it? I mean, you know, like I've known a lot of people have problems with alcohol, but I don't know that many people that had where they got in a fight constantly. What was in his personality? What was there? Did you figure that one out?
6: Well, I, yeah, well, I think today we would say that that he was bipolar. He had issues. I mean, I spoke to some, you know, people in his later years when he was hanging out with a lot of young actors in Hollywood, and they thought it was, they thought it was, you know, kind of the women thought it was cute that Tierney would see these young women and say, you know, rub my head, and he would love to get head massages. And they all say, well, you know, a little kinky, he's an old man, but he's harmless, and the women would rub his head. Um, I I later found a, a woman who Tierney had lived with, her family in Queens back in the 1950s when she was a teenager. And he would ask her to rub his head because he would get severe headaches. And she said it was obviously, you know, from the drinking and the beatings that he took. You know, and many of the beatings he took were from the police because he would, when he was arrested, he would not go peacefully. He would be a wild animal and fight the cops. There was a very famous uh, fight that he had in 1958 on 6th Avenue in Midtown Manhattan with, with two cops where, you know, they had to, they had to bring out the billy clubs and they had to to bring him down. And I guess the way you bring somebody down like that is to just keep hitting him in the head until he stops fighting. Uh, he just had it in him. He was, you know, he had, he had issues. He is, he had, uh, you know, in his family, there were drinkers and fighters, you know, his grandfather was apparently died in a, in a barroom brawl, uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, his, his father was a, um, was the head of the the Aqueduct Police in New York. He wasn't actually a policeman; it was a political appointment. But he was, you know, the top cop guarding the Aqueduct back in the days when there were less you know, saboteurs trying to blow up blow up the reservoirs, et cetera. But okay. yeah, he had he had drinking the family, and he was a you know he was a diehard alcoholic. He couldn't stop drinking, and he would say this. You know, he'd, he'd be interviewed in 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 the papers, and he would say, I, I, "I'm sorry, I'm you know, I tried AA, I tried to stop. I can't. I'm a prisoner to this, and uh, you know, I, I can't stop." and got no sympathy whatsoever, you know, from the reporter, from the gossips, from society. But the uh, studio, people kept giving him work. He kept, you know, working here and there.
3: Well, you know, you look at his films, I mean, he is a talented actor. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, whether, if I were a director, I could put up with him, I doubt it. But um, he he's a very talented man. I mean, from uh, Born to Kill, I think is one of the, Best film noirs ever. And his character is probably the most cold-blooded uh, you know killer that you could possibly have. And he's great in that. And he's great 30, what is it, 40 years later in Tough Guys Don't Dance.
6: That's the thing with him is that there, 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 he was a great actor. That's what made this book and this story so different from just the usual, you know, Hollywood land in the gutter story. This was a guy who was a really good actor. He was a great stage actor. You know, some of the best work he did was on the stage. You know, he never made it to Broadway. He almost, he almost did. Once he got in a fight with the director another, he was fired for being drunk in rehearsals. But he did a lot of what they call the straw hat circuit, the summer stock. He did stuff out of town. Uh, he was in the movie uh, The Petrified Forest in the role that Bogart had. And he, was, and, and, and he got great reviews in it. He was in the role of the streetcar named Desire, uh, in the Brando role and got great reviews until the next day when he didn't show up because he spent the day in the bar instead. But you know he, he ended up working with you know directors like uh, Casavetes and John Huston know, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Oliver Stone, Michael Bay. He, he worked with some of, you know some of the best directors out there. Another thing that people don't realize, and it was because he was so good at playing this ultimate bad guy, was that he was really funny. I mean, he. You know, people might remember him as Elaine's father in the episode of Seinfeld, where he played. He, he had one. He played uh, Elaine's father in one episode, where he's he plays a an, an army vet who's an author who is really scary and he scares the heck out of um, Jerry and George Costanza. Uh, he was up for. He was up for a. Um, a recurring role they love him this guy is great they were going to give him a recurring role in Seinfeld, except he uh he blew it what happened was he was on the the set jerry's apartment set and they were setting up a shot and julia louis dreyfus looks over and they notice that Tierney's standing on in the kitchen area and he grabs a large knife from the from the butcher block from the knife block in the kitchen and puts it under his coat under his jacket and they look at each other and they say, did you see what I just saw? This guy just stole a huge knife. And they're like, I saw it, yeah. I'm not going to say anything. But <laughs> Seinfeld, Seinfeld walked over to him. On the set, there's an audience there. Everybody's on the stage, they're all looking. And he says, so, uh, Larry, uh, what's with the knife? And Tierney's embarrassed. And he takes the knife out and he says, well, uh, this is just in case I uh, had to stab you in the head. And then he imitated the scene in Psycho and went, ee, ee, ee and <laughs> pretended to stab Jerry Seinfeld. Whereupon the director said, "Get security! Get this guy out of here!" and and that was his last was his last time on Seinfeld. Now, do you have any
3: idea? I mean, talking to his relatives or other, what was going through his mind? Did he steal things
6: constantly? He, uh, in his later years, he became a bit of a kleptomaniac. You'd go into a diner with him. Uh, he, he'd walk. He'd walk up, you know, to go to go to the men's room and come back to the table and say to his friends, "Let's get out of here quick." And run out of the, the restaurant with knives and forks clattering out of his pockets. Uh, when he was when he was doing Seinfeld, when he was that week that he was working on the Seinfeld set, uh, there's a Hollywood historian named uh, David Delval who Tierney was living with. Although he had his own apartment, Tierney would always bunk over people's houses. He was an alcoholic, didn't like being alone, uh, and and Delval would get calls from the the, the, the Seinfeld production saying. Uh, do you see a stapler there and, you know, a three ring puncher, uh, you know, Larry's stealing everything out of the office. So, yeah, he was he, he, he was a, he was a bit of a kleptomaniac at the end as well. Now,
3: you mentioned some of the names. Now, he was in a film directed by Cecil B. DeMille. Actually, I think that was, uh, you know, best picture.
6: Can you, he was in the, the best picture I believe, of 1953, um, The Greatest Show on Earth. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille directed and produced it. It was the, the story of, you know, love and intrigue behind the big top. It's the movie. It was the Spielberg, uh, had, had a clip from it in his his movie that the, the Men. it was the movie that, that inspired, I guess the, the train crash scene inspired Steven Spielberg to become a director. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille hired Tierney to play the bad guy, the, the gangster who was running, you know, crooked games on the midway. And, uh, he got along with Tierney. Tierney, you know, he, he liked Lawrence Tierney. There was, there, there, was a scene they were shooting where Cecil B. DeMille had to get nine actors into one shot and he couldn't figure out how to do it. And Tierney said, excuse me, uh, why don't you try this? And instead of being insulted, Cecil B. DeMille said, well, let's try it. And it worked. He's like, Larry, this is great. You, 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 you did the shot. DeMille said to, to Tierney, at this point, Tierney had, you know, drank away his contracts. He was making movies here and there. DeMille said, look, uh, I I really like you. I'm going to get you a three picture deal with Paramount. You're going to get insurance. You're going to have work. You know, we're going to bring you back because I think you're terrific. You're a great actor and you're a great guy. Uh, This is going to do it for you. And of course, the movie goes and wins the Academy Award for Best Picture. And Lawrence Tierney is arrested about three more times for fighting and drinking. And that deal went away. You know, his whole life was just, you know, one step forward, two steps backwards. But Kept moving forward,
3: and there was nobody who had any influence on him at all, any positive influence that could help
6: him out of these jams. No, you know, he had a family here. You know, his, his mother and father moved out here uh, to be with him, and then he had, you know, we had two younger brothers. Uh, his younger brother Gerard was a um, was in the, was in the World War Two in the in the Navy. He was a boxing champion in the Navy. Came to came to Hollywood, uh, visited. Larry, on the set of, I believe, of Born to Kill, uh, and, this, uh a, and a producer saw him, and Larry arranged for him to get a screen test, and then the next thing you know, his younger brother is, uh, is an actor, except he's, you know, he's cleaner, he's taller, he's, you know, he's, he's not a drinker, he's not a fighter, he's a good guy, uh, the people say to him, you know, we think you can have a good career here in Hollywood, but you better change your name from Tierney, because that doesn't have a very good reputation, so he became Scott Brady, uh, Brady became, you know, Brady was there for him, but there wasn't much he could do for the older brother. He was just, you know, always in trouble, always getting himself in trouble, and there wasn't much they could do.
3: Now, you know, you you look back in some of those films in the 40s, they look an awful lot alike. Would Hard to tell that the, they weren't brothers. And I, I think I saw one interview where you were talking to Scott Brady's son, and he said he didn't mm-hmm. know an un, he, that he had an uncle Larry till the nineteen eighties or so?
6: Yeah, what what happened was uh there was a falling out, of course. By the by the early nineteen sixties, there there was a a real falling out between the brothers. Their their mother died of, of a heart attack uh in in her apartment that she was actually sharing with the youngest son in Hollywood. There were some pills found uh on the table, so the initial report said that it must have been suicide. Uh, the family kind of agreed that it wasn't. She had been in the hospital before that with a heart with a heart condition. She was recovering from a heart attack, but the family blamed L- Larry, blamed Lawrence Tierney for all the heartache that he caused her, all the trouble. They blamed her for his, or her, blamed him for her death, and and there was a, apparently there's been you know no documentation of it, but apparently there was a fight in the middle of the street between Larry and Scott Brady. And the brothers had a big fight, and they remained estranged for about the next twenty years. And Scott Brady's son, Timothy Tierney, who was a, a great source in the book, uh, told me that he he didn't know his father protected him from knowing that he had this monstrous uncle named named Larry until one day he he found out when he was about thirteen years old, and he's like, "What? I have an uncle? What?" And uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, like he never saw his his uncle in a movie, and said, "Hey, doesn't that guy look like my father?" And he's got his same last name. I mean, I don't know; it seems strange to me.
6: I guess not. Yeah, no. He said he said he had he had no idea until until that point. And uh, what had happened was uh, his younger brother, the, the youngest brother, who had also been estranged from from Lawrence Tierney, had agreed uh, to bring his two sons to meet their uncle Larry for the first time uh, back in New York. Uh, they were they were there for a chess tournament and then Larry took the kids I guess to Coney Island for the day and didn't tell anyone and the next thing you know the younger brother's calling Scott Brady saying Larry's kidnapped the kids and he said what and then so there was a big to do over that until Larry just showed up that night with the kids saying, what's going on well you know thanks for not telling anybody you took my two kids away (laughs) but that's the way he was
3: yeah I I had an aunt like that would do something like that every once in a while so I, I don't think that's too big a deal
6: um, but the one but, but the one thing with tyranny, though, is, you know, what happened was he, he came back to Hollywood in the 1980s when Scott Brady died. After Scott Brady's funeral, uh, he sort of relocated back in Hollywood and got some of the roles that maybe Scott Brady would have would have gotten had he had he lived. Um, and he started hanging out in the same bars that he hung out in back in the 40s and 50s. They're still out here, places like the Formosa and Bordner's and the frolic room. Uh, but when, at the time he was hanging out there, so were all the young hipsters and young, you know, would be filmmakers and actors. And he, and you'd, you'd go to these recipes, you'd go to these bars and there'd be like at one table, there's Tim Burton and there's, you know, Keanu Reeves and and there's Tarantino. And at the bar is some old guy with a short sleeve shirt and it's Lawrence Tierney. And so he made friends with a lot of these young actors and, they loved hanging around with someone, meeting the real deal. He got a place to, to sleep on their couches, et cetera. Uh, but they all said, you know, he was, he was a, a real pain in the neck to them because he always was calling them at all hours, always wanted them to come out and, and drink with him. But they said he was always a very loyal friend. He was He was very loyal. He remembered his old friends. He did have a good heart. He had a lot of issues, a lot of problems. But people, you know, wanted to work with him. You know, directors would want to work with him. Tarantino wanted to work with him. Uh, Oliver Stone wanted to work with him because it was Lawrence Tierney and they'd all be warned. They'd say, look, if he's going to be trouble, you know, we, we realized that he's in his seventies, but you know, he wanders away from productions. He'll in the middle of the day, he'll just, he'll meet somebody on the set and walk away. He won't listen to what you're saying. He'll cause fights. You, you have to just be careful with him. And the director would always say, don't worry, I can handle him. <laughs> So, you know, so he gets, a, he gets a gig on Natural Born Killers playing uh, the prison warden with, with Oliver, for Oliver Stone. He's in rehearsals with Tom Sizemore and um, Woody Harrelson, who is the star of the film. And he gets in a fight with Woody Harrelson. And Oliver Stone fires him from Natural Born Killers before the cameras roll. It was that sort of thing. Can you tell us why they got in a fight? Well, the interesting thing was Tom Sizemore, who recently passed away, he was improvising in, in the scene. He was, you know, so he he was playing this psychotic uh, detective and he was improvising with Woody Harrelson, throwing some insults at him. And according to Tierney, he stopped the music and said, me, uh, you know, excuse me, Oliver, can I, can I improvise as well? He goes, yeah, sure. <laughs> we want you to. I encourage that. So Tierney started improvising and insulting Tom Sizemore and really going at it, He was, you know, really cursing, et cetera. And Woody Harrelson says, wait a minute, you can't talk to my friend that way. And he's like, what? And he goes, don't talk to my friend that way. And he goes, and Tierney says, who are you, a tough guy? And, <laughs> and next thing you know, they're face to face, head to head, and they're about to start trading punches, where I think Woody Harrelson realized that his face was worth too much money to get in a fight with this old guy who didn't care. <laughs> and Oliver Stone's said, like, okay, stop. We're going we're gonna to stop this rehearsal now. Everybody go home. They went home, and then Tierney got home fired uh and also found out that 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 Oliver Stone's company had accused him of being drunk on the set and he was very very upset about that and wound up suing Oliver Stone for millions of dollars uh because he he wanted to make it very clear you know he was not he didn't drink during productions he was he was not drinking and he sued Oliver Stone and they came to a settlement in the end
3: now what what other directors I mean Robert Wise I guess in uh one of the great directors. He, you know, *Born yeah. to Kill*. Norman Mailer. Did they have any relationship before when they did *Tough Guys Don't Dance*? Do you know,
6: they went. They went to the same high school. Yeah, I know. High school yeah. in Brooklyn. Uh, Mailer was a couple of years behind him. No, I think he, he just knew him as as a tough guy actor, and they got along during the the, the initial during um, during 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 the the initial screen test, etc. Uh, but no, they didn't have a relationship before then. Uh, but, they, uh, but yeah, he, they, he was great in that. That's, that's a movie that, you know, a crazy, you know, you know Norman Mailer is not a filmmaker. Uh, the m- movies that he did make were these independent, you know, crazy films. I think there was one, he had a fight scene with uh, Rip Torn in one of his movies. You can see it on YouTube, uh, where I believe it was Rip Torn and, and, and Mailer were fighting. And one of them had a hammer. And I think, you know, Rip Torn was hitting Mailer on the head with a hammer. Uh, <laughs> while the cameras were rolling. But in, but in this one, you know, again, all the all the critics said, you know, in this movie, in, in Tough Guys, Lawrence Tierney gave the best performance of all.
3: Yeah, there's no um, question he, about he, it. It's a great performance. And that's, you know, like it's one of the later films where you, you see his ability. Because in a lot of those films, he's in a very short time. And you don't really get, a, you know, an idea of the personality or whatever of the character. But this one, he really does. And... You know, I, I I love that film. I love his performance in it. I mean, there's some weaknesses in the film, but he gives a yeah. great performance.
6: He was, was terrific. I mean, it, one of his last performances was in Armageddon, which was the, the Bruce Willis, Michael Bay film, the disaster film about the, I guess an asteroid is coming toward Earth and, and Bruce Willis is, uh, is one of the drillers who's going to go drill a hole through the asteroid and blow it up before it hits Earth. Uh, they had to find... You know, Bruce Willis was like the toughest guy in the world. You know, to, to take on that task of you know, destroying the asteroid, uh, they had to find somebody who was tougher to play his old man, and it was, of course, Lawrence Tierney. And they couldn't convince Tierney to come and do the role. He said, "Look, we're, you know, I'm going to pay you ten thousand dollars. It's one day of work. Come in and, and do a scene with Bruce Willis." Nah, I want to sit. I'm watching TV. I'd rather watch you know, People's Court. I'm not interested. And they finally they got him to do the role by. uh getting one of the, the female production assistants on the phone and saying, please, Larry. And he goes, okay, I'll do it for you. And so he shows up and he, he does the scene with Bruce Willis, which was, you know, he, he's in a, an, a nursing home. Bruce Willis comes to say goodbye to his old man. It's a touching, it's a great scene. It was cut out of the movie, but it was included in the director's cut, which later came out on Blu-ray and DVD. And that, that was really one of Lawrence Tierney's last film performances.
3: Now, what kind of living was he making when he was doing this? And and you know, I don't think I don't think we spent enough time on like the down years for him. Sometimes he was just down on his luck and out of work. And what what was, you know, what 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 did he used to do back then?
6: Well, beginning in the in the nineteen end of the nineteen fifties, when you know he's living in abandoned buildings here and there, uh, you know, running around staying at people's apartments. He he went to Europe. Uh, he, he spent several years in, in Europe. He 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 dubbed motion pictures for for uh, America. Here he appeared in an Italian movie. But uh, managed to you know make his way and drank his way across Europe for a few years away from the from the probing eyes of the press. He came back to New York in the, in the late sixties after he'd been in a film. He worked construction. he they found him on a on a construction lot. He he built one of the helped build one of the big buildings in the fifties in, in in Midtown Manhattan. He was on that project. He was a a welder. He he worked on on construction. He worked as a bartender. Uh, One of the biggest scandals, believe it or not, came in about 1974 when someone got a picture of Lawrence Tierney uh, in the theater district with a horse. Now, he wasn't doing anything with a horse. He was a handsome cab driver. And they got a picture of him standing outside the theater with his horse. And I believe it said from handsome to handsome. It was like as if this was the worst thing that could happen. Lawrence Tierney had stumbled from you know, the, the heights of Hollywood to dry, driving a, a horse and buggy through Central Park in the theater district. Uh, he did that for several years. But the one thing about that photo that stands out among all the other press photos that I have of Lawrence Tierney is that he's smiling. <laughs> he loved that job. He later did it. he did an interview they could find on YouTube in the eighties where he talked about that. He said I loved having I have a kid on my lap and he'd pretend that he's driving the horse and I just he had the you know, there was no pressure on him. He had the greatest time when he was a horse and buggy driver in Central Park. And he always found a way to make a living and to keep going. You know, whether he was bartending and then he'd be bartending, he'd be working the handsome cab driver, and then he'd get a a gig to do an Anison commercial. Or John Cassavetti's who remembered him? Gave him a, a bit part as a bartender in the movie Gloria. Uh, he he was in he was in an Andy Warhol movie, believe it or not. There's a movie called Andy Warhol's Bad. They shot it in Queens in the mid '70s, uh, and he plays an old cop who winds up getting in a street fight with one of the women. Uh, you know, it's just crazy crazy stuff that he did. Uh, where you know there was always there was always somebody who would want to work with Lawrence Tierney and and, and give him a role. You know, one of the one of the wildest stories, which turns out to have been true, was I think it was about 1975. He's he's hanging out at uh, is it O. Henry's Bar in uh, Gramercy Park? Not O. Henry's. Uh, no,
3: no, it's uh, O. Henry but, was there. Not uh, you know it's I, it, the
6: oldest bar. What was the oldest bar in Manhattan? I can't remember the name. Yeah, the I
3: know story. the place it's, you're talking about. I'll will fill it in after. Yeah.
6: But well, anyway, he, I've been there. You know. He, he, yeah, he's in the bar, and he's telling people I'm um, playing Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman, one of the great theatrical roles of all time, right? Well, it turns out he's he's telling the truth. He was cast in Death of a Salesman in a in a production in Philadelphia. Martin Balsam was playing Willie Loman. He was playing the um, uh, his, his brother, kind of a ghostly figure in it, but he was the understudy to Martin Balsam, in Death of a Salesman. Well, the director was George C. Scott. So here you got Lawrence Tierney working with the great Martin Balsam, directed by George C. Scott. Well, what happens? About four days before the premiere, somebody gets drunk, somebody gets in a fight, and somebody runs away from the production. Only this time, it wasn't Lawrence Tierney. It was George C. Scott, who was a bigger drunk than Tierney was. George C. Scott split. And so who had to step in as the director to get everything going? Was Arthur Miller himself? So here you have Lawrence Tierney directed by Arthur Miller in *Death of a Salesman*. I mean, that's, that, that's the sort of thing that that made Tierney so significant. Some of these, you know, people that he worked with, he was in he was in James Cagney's last movie, *Terrible Joe Moran*, the TV movie. Uh, he he played a, uh, a a boxing trainer with James Cagney. You know, he was in uh, you know a movie directed by Otto Preminger, and of course, his his friend who he knew back when he was a nobody, Jack Nicholson, got him a role in, in John Huston's film, Pritzy's Honor, where he played a, cor- a corrupt cop in Pritzy's Honor, uh, which was shot in Brooklyn. And some his younger cousins uh, went to work for him and gave him rides through Brooklyn. He, he bunked with them. And uh, they're out there in Marine Park. The Leahy brothers are still out there, and they've got, still got great stories to tell in the large theory. They are a the highlight of their lives
3: yeah which we're we're doing seminars in Buckley's in October for those out there, and from what I understand from your book, he used to hang out at Buckley's once in a while
6: there is a buckleys story, there's a Buckley's story uh in the book where he's getting a, a ride back from Buckley's uh from one of the young guys and a police officer a police car pulls up alongside them while they're driving and Tierney's in the passenger seat and Tierney rolls down his window and says officer uh, you, you got, you got a, your, your back tires going flat. And the cop says, oh, thanks, thanks. And uh, pulls the, car, the police car over. And as the, as the uh, tyranny's driver is pulling away from the red light, uh, they see the two cops get out of the car. And he sees the one cop standing there scratching his head. And he goes, wait a minute. Did that guy have a flat tire? And Larry goes, no, no, those coppers. <laughs> 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 now he, what? He just did it as, just did it as a prank. Why did
3: he have so much animus toward police officers? I mean, his father was kind of a police officer, wasn't he?
6: His father was kind of a police officer, and you know, the Leahy brothers' father was a, was a decorated New York City cop, <laughs> made the daily news a couple of times for for some of the things he did, and he got along great with Lawrence Tierney. I think it was just an authority thing. The cops are the ones who were who were arresting him, and you know, he he, he said crazy things like a, after he. One of the most famous shots of Lawrence Tierney, um, it's in the book and it's on the website, it is the shot of him being escorted into uh, Midtown South Police Precinct by, by two officers uh, where he'd just gotten that, a heck beat out of him. He's, he's bleeding, his, co- his clothes are just caked in blood. And, you know, he, that, that was where, he, again, he was, he was arrested with, with a pal causing trouble in a bar and he wouldn't go peacefully and they had, they had to take him down. When he got into court, he turned around and sneered at the cop. I'm a cop hater, and you maybe hate cops, hate cops more. Well, sure enough, that became the headline in the Journal American. You know, face of a cop hater. Uh, But that was more like he was playing the character at that point. You would think. Uh, I don't think he had anything against cops in in general. Again, yes, his, his father was one. His 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 uncle was was a cop. There was cops in the family. But these are the ones who. He was the bad guy. He was Dillinger. He was he was the one being busted and the cops are the ones that were arresting him. I mean, yeah. that, that was a problem as well. Whenever he was arrested, no matter how sad and pathetic the arrest might be because of his, his alcoholism, if this goes into the 70s. It would say Lawrence Tierney, who played Dillinger in the movie, you know, playing Dillinger again in real life, you know, causing trouble again. So there was never any sympathy for Tierney. And that was another you know, problem today. I'm sure he would be treated much differently. I mean, they would, they would have thrown him into a a rehab that, that probably worked a lot, a lot better and, and taking care of his issues. But back then it was, it was sort of considered if, if he was morally strong, if he, if he wasn't so weak, he'd be able to stop drinking and he would stop doing this, but he had, he had problems.
3: I'm sorry. We're running out of time, but tell the, tell the audience the name of your book. And, you know, and, and I really enjoyed this conversation. It brings back some old times, uh, you, you know, because my father was part of that same generation. And, yeah. you know, he, I, I I know he was fond of what he, what he called him, Larry. I have no idea where they worked or what they did, but he was fond of him. I know that. Uh, but t- sure, t- if worked, if, go ahead.
6: If he had a bar, I'm sure he knew him.
3: Yeah. Yes. So go, 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 go. Uh, my father tended bar in the in the 40s and 50s. After the war, when he was saving yep. up to buy his own bar in Bay Ridge in the in the fifties, that's great. All well, right, but was, what
6: the name of the book? Come on. The name of the book is Lawrence Tierney, Hollywood's Real Life Tough Guy. It's out there. It's everywhere. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, University Press of Kentucky. They did a, it's a nice. It's a nice looking book too. They did a really nice job on it.
3: And they got a and great picture a great, of Lawrence Tierney on the front. Was that there from? He is. Yeah, that's from. Born to Kill devil or Devil Thumbs a Ride? Devil, devil Thumbs, Thumbs a, ride. a Ride. Okay, I've have not it seen that th- film, but I am gonna try to get it.
6: You can you can find it, It's just probably you know you can find it online. It's that's another. It's a great one. It's funny. He's just as bad as he was in Born to Kill. And that's great that when you bookend Lawrence Tierney, you got the Devil on one side and Born to Kill on the other. And there's Lawrence Tierney for you.
3: <laughs> thank you very much, Burr, for being on the show. You you brought back hey, old times. You. Thanks a
6: lot.
2: How can I protect my family if something happens to me?
4: What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings? Our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of grandpa?
1: These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, tax as a nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected.
3: I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors and Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now.
4: I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers.
1: Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call seven 6500 eight-238-650. 6500 or Connors and Sullivan.
5: If you're a homeowner, age 62 or older, and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888 888- and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia NMLS number 62591 Contour Mortgage Corporation NMLS number 34384 990 Stewart Avenue Suite 660 Garden City, New York 11530 Licensed Mortgage Banker New York State Department of Financial Services.
2: Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With Saint Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they're recognized, that we love them, they're our cousins, sisters, they're our roots. So St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians, and you can be part of that help too.
3: If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer. With me, Mike Connors. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Bert Carnes on Lawrence Tierney. You know, one of Brooklyn's finest. Meanwhile, I know some of you probably turned on to the show and say, "Hey, what about estate planning?" So, Michael, if you Uh-oh. if you want to get our seminar on estate planning, where where do you go?
4: All right, you're going to want to go to YouTube.com and just enter into the search bar there. Connors and Sullivan video seminar. That's Connors and Sullivan video seminar. You should see a nice long video with Dad right there up top.
3: All right. And if somebody's got questions for our audience, which we didn't answer any questions, but I promise you next week we'll catch up and we'll do more than a few questions.
4: So if you've got questions to send us, that's going to be you're going to want to email askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors spelled C O N N O R S. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com.
3: Right. And if you're interested in seminars in about a week or so, we're trying to schedule the dates now. But we're going to be doing seminars the week of October 16th, and we'll, we're going to be having seminars you know, over Queens, Staten Island, and Brooklyn, Manhattan, sometimes just a little bit too hard right now to get into Manhattan. But we're going to have, we're going to have seminars in Queens, Brooklyn, and Staten Island you know, in October, so we'll give you the exact times and places in a couple of weeks. And October's really not that far away. We're toward the middle end of August now. So it won't be, you know, it won't be that long. Now, also, if you want to schedule an appointment with us and, you know, there's no one right answer ahead of time. Some of you, you know, have children you can trust. Some of you don't have children. Some of you have millions of dollars worth of assets and we've got to work about taxes. Some of you may have $50,000 in the bank and you don't want a nursing home to get that money. Wherever you are in those circumstances, again, please feel free to give us a call. We'll talk it over. If you want to schedule with me, you're more than welcome to schedule with me. And we'll go over your financial situation, your family situation, what are your goals, what do you want to accomplish, and then I'll give you a plan, you know, based on my experience. And, you know, then you take it from there. Almost everything we do as far as estate planning, elder law, as in a flat fee basis, so you, we talk it over. I'll give you a recommendation. We go from there. You decide whether you want to go ahead or not. But the worst thing you can do, and I've said this, you know, numerous occasions, the worst you can do is do nothing at all. So at least get a will and a power of attorney. Maybe, maybe you want to do something more advanced. I may recommend you do something more advanced, but at least start with the basics. So give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at seven one eight. 238 6500. Meanwhile, we'll see you in the same time and places next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much for bye joining bye,
4: us. Bye bye,
2: everybody. We here on Hallowed Ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on Hallowed Ground to sing this song away. Hey, Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC